Can an officer who's made a traffic stop search a vehicle for evidence of the driver's identification when the driver fails to provide identification? It seems like a simple yes or no answer. Yet, it is not. And you're about to find out why if you keep listening to this podcast, because in this edition of the Inquisitive Prosecutor's Guide, we're going to juice the heck out of the California Supreme Court decision in People v. Lopez. Now, Lopez is a case that was issued several months ago and overturned an 18-year-old decision from the California Supreme Court called In Re Arturo D. And the Arturo D. case had answered a question uh, posed earlier with a simple yes. Lopez, not so much. Lopez has widespread ramifications, some of which are obvious and some of which are not so obvious. To assist me in explaining these ramifications will be Santa Clara County Deputy District Attorney Jordan Kaler. Jordan has developed an expertise in the area of search and seizure and has a classic radio voice to boot. So he was a natural choice for the podcast. But before we hear from Jordan, let's meet our MCLE required obligations. This podcast has been approved for 60 minutes of MCLE general credit. Welcome to IPG, Jordan. Thank you, Jeff. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, I know we've been talking uh, amongst us sporadically about the case of Lopez for these past several months, but the pandemic finally gave me a chance to review it in sufficient depth to feel somewhat confident about what questions law enforcement is going to have arising from the decision and uh, hopefully try and figure out the best way to answer those questions. Well, Jeff, I know the two of us are familiar with Lopez, but our listeners may not be. Why don't you give them a little background, starting with the facts of the case? Well, the case began with an anonymous report about a car being driven erratically and a second anonymous report that the driver of the car had been drinking all day. An officer who received the report figured out who the registered owner of the car was and parked in front of the address associated with that registered owner. Sure enough, the defendant drove up in a car matching the description provided in the tip. She looked at the officer a little nervously, got out of her car, and walked away. What did the officer do next? Well, he approached the defendant. Now, he didn't notice any signs of intoxication, but he did want to identify her and learn of her driving status. So the officer asked the defendant if she had a driver's license. The defendant said she did not. At that point, without asking the defendant for her name or other identifying information, The officer detained the defendant by placing her in a control hold. When the defendant tried to pull away, the officer handcuffed her. Is this case about the propriety of the detention? No, actually it's not. Uh, The defendant did make that claim, but um, the ultimate issue, that wasn't the ultimate issue before the California Supreme Court. The issue before the California Supreme Court Uh, arose when the officer asked the defendant if she had any identification, possibly within the vehicle. Now, even though earlier she had denied having any identification, she responded there might be. A second officer on the scene opened the passenger door, retrieved a small purse from the passenger seat, and handed it to the first officer. The first officer then searched the purse 
and found a baggie containing methamphetamine in a side pocket. So was the point of the contention the entry into the vehicle and seizure of the purse? Yes. After the defendant was charged with misdemeanor violations of possessing the methamphetamine and driving on a suspended license, she filed a motion to suppress evidence. She argued that the officer unlawfully searched her car and her purse. How did the trial court rule? It agreed the search was improper. The prosecution then appealed the trial court ruling and prevailed in the court of appeal. What did the court of appeal have to say about whether the search for identification was proper? Well, they, they actually reversed the trial court. They said the search was proper, and they relied on a decision from 2002 of the California Supreme Court called In Re Arturo D. And in that earlier decision of Arturo D., uh, police had been allowed to conduct a warrantless search of those areas of the vehicle where personal identification documents might reasonably be kept when a driver uh, was stopped for a traffic offense but failed to provide a license or other personal identification upon request. That was the rule that they laid out in Arturo D. Based on that rule, then, it seems like Arturo D. was right on point. The defendant had failed to provide identification, so under the case of Arturo D., the officer was entitled to look for the identification documents in places in the vehicle where such documents might be kept, and the purse was a likely repository of identification documents. Yeah, Jordan, Arturo D. was right on point. But that is not where our story ends. The defendant sought review in the California Supreme Court, and review was granted. So now... The California Supreme Court said they would consider the application and continuing validity of the Arturo D. rule in light of subsequent legal developments. Hmm. I'm sure when the AG heard that, it was a bit of an uh uh-oh moment. What did the California Supreme Court say about the search? They said the search was unlawful, and they overruled Arturo D. in part. What part of Arturo D. was overruled? Well, the part that would have allowed searches for identification documents like driver's licenses during an ordinary traffic stop simply because the driver did not provide identifying documents upon request. As you know, there are other aspects of Arturo D. that were not overruled, but, you know, we can discuss those a little later. What was the rationale the California Supreme Court used to overrule Arturo D.? Well, the Lopez Court began its analysis by noting that, subject to a a few uh, established and and well-defined exceptions, warrantless searches are per se unreasonable under the Fourth Amendment. And the kind of search the California Supreme Court had authorized in Arturo D. didn't fall into one of those exceptions. The, The Lopez Court then went on to point out that whether a particular kind of search is exempt from the warrant requirement ordinarily depends on whether, under the relevant circumstances, law enforcement's need to search outweighs the invasion of individual privacy. Jeff, let me stop you there for a second. Aren't those two concepts somewhat contradictory? I mean, if a warrantless search is per se unreasonable, unless it falls into a long-standing and well-defined exception, why do a balancing test at all? Either the search is good because it falls into an exception, or it's bad because it does not. Well, Jordan, you've spotted an apparent inconsistency that crops up uh, a lot in many search and seizure cases. And uh, it requires a short but nonetheless worthwhile digression. 
So when a search does not fall into a well-recognized exception to the warrant requirement, defense counsel will often lift a quote from the 1967 United States Supreme Court decision in Katz versus United States. And that quote basically says warrantless searches are per se unreasonable under the Fourth Amendment, subject only to a few specifically established and well-delineated exceptions. Now, defense counsel will interpret that language to mean Unless a search falls into one of these exceptions, it automatically is unreasonable and violates the Fourth Amendment. But we know that can't be the proper interpretation because if it were, no uh, exception to the warrant rule could ever be recognized after uh, Katz came out. And we know there have been several new exceptions identified by courts post-Katz and thousands of cases finding warrantless searches to be reasonable that didn't fall into one of the exceptions recognized at the time of Katz, including the type of search recognized in Arizona versus Gantt, a case largely relied upon by the Lopez court to overrule Arturo D. So the true interpretation of that language, uh, one that makes more sense and is consistent with the court weighing law enforcement's need to search against the invasion of individual privacy in determining whether search is reasonable and comports with the Fourth Amendment. There's a, there is a truer interpretation. What is this truer interpretation then? Well, simply that warrantless searches are presumed to be unreasonable if they don't fall into a well-established exception. But it's a presumption, and a presumption could be overcome if the warrantless search is still shown to be reasonable. Okay. With that in mind, then, why did the California Supreme Court overrule Arturo D.? Well, the Lopez Court, and when I say Lopez Court, by the way, I mean the majority opinion in Lopez. It was actually a, a 4-3 split. So the Lopez majority believed the primary rationale used to justify vehicle searches for identification uh, when not provided, that was described in Arturo D., was undermined by the United States Supreme Court decision in Arizona versus Gantt. In other words, the equation used, at least the majority believed, the equation used in the reasonableness balancing test was now different. Oh, what was the rationale used in Arturo D.? All right, so going back to Arturo D., in, our, in that case, the, the California Supreme Court had reviewed two different searches from two different cases. In both, drivers had been detained for traffic infractions, and the drivers couldn't produce either a driver's license or a vehicle's registration in response to the officer's requests. In one of those cases, the officer entered the defendant's truck and reached under the driver's seat to search for ID and registration and came across a box containing methamphetamine methamphetamine. In the other case, there were two cases that were consolidated in Arturo D. The officer entered the defendant's car and looked first in the glove compartment and then under the front passenger seat. And they found a wallet that contained a baggie of methamphetamine. So the Arturo Court D, the Arturo D Court, believed these searches were reasonable because applying the traditional balancing test for determining reasonableness the state's important interest in identifying drivers so they could be properly cited for traffic violations outweighed a driver's reduced expectation of privacy while driving a vehicle on on public thoroughfares. The reasonableness of this limited search was also bolstered by the fact that the Arturo D. Court believed that if they didn't allow such searches, then a considerably greater intrusion would be likely to occur. Why did the court in Arturo D. believe a considerably greater intrusion would occur otherwise? 
Well, the Arturo D. Court observed that under the law at the time, and, and still today, while California law doesn't permit a custodial arrest uh, as opposed to a citation for most minor traffic offenders, it does allow such an offender to be taken into custody if the offender cannot provide satisfactory identification. The Arturo Court, <laughs> the Arturo D. Court, believed that if a search of the vehicle for satisfactory ID and registration could not be made, officers would end up arresting the offenders for failure to provide satisfactory ID and then end up searching the car in a much more expansive manner pursuant to the search incident to arrest exception uh, to the warrant requirement. Now, at that time when Arturo D. was decided, the search incident to arrest exception, as interpreted by the U.S. Supreme Court in a case called New York v. Belton, allowed the contemporaneous search of the entire passenger compartment of a vehicle upon the custodial arrest of a recent occupant, regardless of whether the arrestee was within reaching distance of the vehicle at the time of the search. So, in the mind of the Arturo D. Court, allowing a more limited search of just areas where ID and registration might reasonably be found was the lesser of two potential intrusions, and thus was reasonable. So... Why did the Lopez majority believe the search for identification permitted in Arturo D. should no longer be considered reasonable under the Fourth Amendment? Well, interestingly, they, they relied on a, uh, upon a case from 2009, yeah, like 10 years earlier, called Arizona versus Gantt. We've mentioned it a couple times before. It's a U.S. Supreme Court decision. And in Arizona versus Gantt, the U.S. Supreme Court repudiated its earlier decision in New York v. Belton. It modified Belton. In Gantt, the high court scaled back an officer's ability to search for weapons or destructible evidence in the passenger compartment of a vehicle contemporaneously with the arrest of an occupant, and they did so by limiting such a search to circumstances where an arrestee is actually capable of reaching the area to be searched. Now, the Gantt court did authorize a further search of the vehicle, but only for evidence relevant to the crime of arrest. Under this new standard, the Gantt court invalidated a search of a vehicle made pursuant to the arrest of a defendant for driving with a suspended license because, and this is what they said, as in most cases involving arrests for traffic violations, there's no chance of finding relevant evidence inside the car. Okay. But Gantt was dealing with a different exception of the warrant requirement than the exception involved here in Arturo D. Yes. And the Lopez court recognized that Gantt wasn't directly applicable. And they also recognized that Gantt didn't consider nor disapprove Arturo D.'s rule authorizing pre-arrest searches for driver ID. Nevertheless, the Lopez court believed the Gantt court had essentially reassessed how much weight a person's privacy interest in their vehicle and in their personal belongings, such as purses, briefcases, or other containers kept in the vehicle, should be given when determining whether the government's interest in conducting the search outweighed the privacy interest invaded. The Lopez court viewed Gantt as placing greater weight on protecting a motorist's privacy interest in the vehicle than the high court had previously done, especially when the search implicates the central concern underlying the Fourth Amendment the concern about giving officers unbridled discretion to rummage at will among a person's private effects. 
Oh, that might change how the citizen's privacy interest is weighed, but we're still dealing with two different kinds of competing government interests. The government interest implicated in Gantt is the interest in preventing the loss or discretion of evidence and uh, for officer safety, while the government interest in Arturo D is the need to ensure that a law enforcement officer has the information necessary to issue a citation and notice to appear for a traffic infraction, despite driver's incentives to conceal that information, and notwithstanding safety considerations that might arise if officers were compelled to allow drivers to retrieve the relevant documents themselves. I agree. However, the Lopez Court believed Gantt provided important guidance about how to weigh the law enforcement interests by showing that any exception must be closely tethered to the justification for the exception. The Lopez majority said the Arturo D. Court made a false assumption, namely that the government interest at stake could only be furthered by either allowing a search for ID or by making a full custodial arrest followed by a search incident to that arrest. The Lopez Court believed this was a false dichotomy because there are a range of options for furthering the government interest that are both less intrusive than a warrantless search and less burdensome than a full custodial arrest. And because the Arturo D. Court didn't properly consider the other adequate alternative avenues for obtaining information needed by law enforcement, the Arturo D. Court placed more weight on the government interest in searching a vehicle for identification than it should have. The Lopez majority recognized that you know, law enforcement does not have to employ the least intrusive means of achieving its objectives. But if, as Gantt indicates, they said, a substantial intrusion on personal privacy must be adequately justified by genuine need, the fact that there were so many alternatives, other means for achieving these objectives, that, they said, tends to undermine the notion the intrusion is reasonable. Did the Lopez court state what these alternative avenues were that would further the government interest? Yes, they did. They put out a list. They said an officer can ask the driver for identifying information. They said that can be checked against various records available to law enforcement to see if the driver matches the physical characteristics. They said an officer could seek consent to search. They said the exigent circumstances exception might allow a vehicle search if entry was necessary to prevent the imminent destruction of evidence in in various cases. They said if circumstances provide a basis for believing the driver has given false identification information, which would be a criminal offense, an officer can search the vehicle under the automobile exception if the officer has probable cause to believe that evidence of one of these crimes involving lying to an officer will be found inside. And if the driver is going to be arrested for such an offense, the car could be searched pursuant to the exception recognized in Gantt for evidence of ID, because in that circumstance, it might supply relevant evidence of the crime of lying about one's identity. So was that the only reason the Lopez majority overruled Arturo D? No, there was another reason. The Lopez court observed that, you know, since Arturo D and even before Arturo D, no other court had actually approved of the kind of search approved in Arturo D. It stood alone, both before and after it issued. Jeff, you mentioned earlier that only part of Arturo D was overruled. Which part was not overruled? Well, keep in mind that Arturo D not only authorized a search for identification when identification was not provided. 
It also authorized a search for registration documents if registration documents were not provided. Now, the Lopez majority did not overrule Arturo D. insofar as Arturo D. permitted searches for vehicle registration when the driver fails to present uh, evidence of registration. In fact, the Lopez majority expressly said that the portion of Arturo D. upholding a search for registration documents was not at issue in the case before them. But can we expect to see defense counsel attempt to extend the reasoning of Arturo D. to prohibit searches for vehicle registration when no evidence of registration is provided by the driver? (laughs) Yes. Heck yes. Uh, That's because uh, they're going to make an argument uh, that will likely be premised on the rationale that a search for registration is no less intrusive than a search for personal ID, and the intrusion on the driver's privacy is not justified by the government interest furthered by the intrusion, unless there's probable cause to believe the car may be stolen. So we can expect defense counsel to point out that some of the same reasoning the Lopez court used for uh, or, or gave for prohibiting vehicle searches attendant to a traffic stop solely for personal ID uh, can also provide grounds for disallowing searches for registration, namely the concern that such searches would allow general rummaging around. And the defense may argue that just like a license is not something police need to search for as evidence of driving without a license, because at most it might provide a defense defense to the charge of driving without uh, a license, neither do the police need to search for evidence of registration when the only crime defendant is suspected of having committed is driving without registration in violation of vehicle section 4000A, since evidence of registration would only provide a defense to the charge of driving without registration. Okay, that makes a certain amount of sense. How should prosecutors then respond to those arguments? Well, let me just point out from the very start, if there's probable cause to believe the car was stolen, then it's unlikely even defense counsel would seek suppression. But assuming there is not probable cause to believe the car is stolen, I provided seven reasons in the IPG handout that accompanies this podcast for why the holding in Lopez should not be extended to prevent searches for registration or title documents when no registration is provided, so long as the police ask for the registration before searching, and the search is confined to areas where it is reasonable to believe registration and title might be found. What areas of a vehicle are considered areas where registration or title papers may reasonably be found? Well, the glove department at a minimum. Uh, A lot of the cases talk about looking at the dashboard, sun visor, and steering column. And those are not necessarily places where people these days keep their registration. But many of the cases that were issued before uh, and and talked about these areas being reasonable places to look came out when there was a law requiring that the vehicle registration was visible. That law is no longer uh, on the books. What about... uh Underneath the driver's seat or the passenger seat? Maybe there, too. Don't forget, uh, the Arturo D. Court held those were locations where either identification or registration papers might be found. Now, there is some language that will allow the defense to argue that the Arturo D. Court was allowing searches of those areas for just identification papers. But there is also good language. Again, all this stuff is discussed in the memo accompanying this podcast indicating that the court also believed registration and title papers 
could be found under at least the driver's seat and possibly the passenger seat as well. What about the truck or a compartment in the rear passenger area? Even under Arturo D., those were not areas the court uh, considered as places where registration was reasonably likely to be found, absent some statement from the, div- the driver indicating that that's where they might actually be. Can officers search wallets or purses found in the vehicle for registration? Expect the defense to argue that searches of a wallet or purse or purses located in, in a vehicle, uh, if those searches are for registration, are not permitted even though Arturo D. approved of such a search. And the reasoning is going to be that in Arturo D., the primary justification for searching the wallet was to locate identification and not registration. And since the California Supreme Court in Lopez held officers can't search for ID in the car just because a defendant didn't provide identification, the defense will argue Arturo D. no longer provides valid authority for searching through a wallet or purse located in the vehicle. The flaw in the defense argument is that it assumes that a wallet or purse is not a location where registration reasonably may be expected to be found. This is because it's not unusual for individuals to keep their registration documents in their wallets or purse. I keep a copy of the registration in my wallet, and I know many people who do as well. But no post-Lopez court has yet to address the question of whether a wallet or purse located in a vehicle can be searched for registration documents when not provided by the driver. Can a search of a vehicle for registration and title in order to determine whether the vehicle is stolen be justified based on vehicle code section 2805 even without probable cause to believe the vehicle is stolen? Maybe. It's clear that officers who who do have probable cause to believe a vehicle is stolen can search a vehicle for evidence of registration. But Section 2805 of the Vehicle Code allows for searches of vehicles in certain circumstances for purposes of locating stolen vehicles and determining ownership. Section 205 doesn't say you need probable cause. And that section has been described as a regulatory scheme, or at least part of a regulatory scheme, providing for warrantless administrative searches. And administrative searches are considered a type of special need searches. Special needs searches are their own exception to the general warrant requirement and can be conducted without probable cause if they otherwise meet the criteria for the special needs exception. So, if an officer who's authorized to search a vehicle pursuant to Section 2805 enters a vehicle to find registration, but there's not registration or the court uh, here in the case doesn't think that there's probable cause to believe the vehicle is stolen, it might be worthwhile for a prosecutor to make an argument that the search was justified as an administrative special needs search, in which case you wouldn't need to establish the probable cause. In light of Lopez, can a vehicle be searched for evidence of identification if the driver's committed a traffic violation, but the driver is only going to be cited for the violation and not taken into custody? No. That is actually the gist of the holding in Lopez. It basically... An officer can no longer search a vehicle for evidence of identification under the Arturo D exception if the driver is only going to be cited for driving without a valid license, which is vehicle section 12500, or driving without physically possessing a copy of a driver's license that's um, uh, 12951. 
or driving on a suspended license, which is uh, Vehicle Code Section 14601. The desire to obtain a driver's identification following a traffic stop does not constitute an independent categorical exception to the Fourth Amendment's warrant requirement. That is the basis of the holding in Lopez. If a person is simply going to be cited for a traffic violation, an officer cannot search the vehicle for evidence of identification under the search incident to arrest exception. But when an officer is citing a defendant, isn't that technically an arrest? Well, yes and no. It is technically an arrest. And ordinarily, the word arrest implies a sequence of events that begins with physical custody and at least a minimal body search and concludes with booking and incarceration and maybe release on bail. That's how you, you ordinarily conceive of an arrest. However, where you have a minor vehicle violation, the arrest is considered complete when, after the investiga- investigatory stop, the officer determines there's probable cause to believe that an offense has been committed and begins the process of citing, citing the violator to appear in court. So this kind of arrest doesn't inevitably result in physical custody and its uh, accompanying a potential search incident to that arrest. To even consider using the search incident to arrest exception to the warrant requirement in any circumstance, there must be at least an intent to make a custodial arrest at the time of the search, and arguably there must actually be a custodial arrest. The rationale for allowing searches incident to arrest do not generally apply when a person is going to be cited. That said, an officer is entitled to demand the driver's license and registration. And while citing a driver for failure to provide a license, or for any traffic violation for that matter, an officer may detain the driver for a reasonable period of time to determine whether to issue the traffic citation and also to conduct ordinary inquiries incident to the traffic stop. Now, during this time, uh, probable cause may develop to believe the driver has committed another crime, including the crime of lying to a police officer. And if so, the officer may be able to search the vehicle under a different exception than the one that's no longer available because of Lopez. So we can't use the search incident to arrest exception to search pursuant to a citation. But what about if there is going to be a custodial arrest of the driver for driving without a license or driving without being licensed and no satisfactory identification has been provided? Even the majority in Lopez acknowledged that if satisfactory identification is not presented, an officer can arrest the detainee and take him or her to be booked into jail for the traffic violation. And such a custodial arrest for a traffic violation does not offend the Fourth Amendment. Indeed, even a statutorily unauthorized custodial arrest supported by probable cause will not violate the Fourth Amendment. Well, in those circumstances where the driver just doesn't provide the identification, a search of the vehicle still could not be made under the search incident to arrest exception, according to Lopez. Why not? Well, to understand why a vehicle cannot be searched for evidence of identification, even if there's going to be a custodial arrest of the driver for driving without a license or without being licensed, 
And even when the driver has not provided satisfactory identification, you have to understand the scope of the search of a vehicle incident to the custodial arrest exception to the warrant requirement as it was uh, discussed in Arizona versus Gantt. That's the, the same high court case that the Lopez majority relied upon for overturning Arturo D. Now, as described in Gantt, a search of a vehicle, search of a vehicle incident to a custodial arrest, is limited to circumstances where the police have reason to believe that the vehicle contains evidence relevant to the crime of arrest or where the arrestee is within reaching distance of the passenger compartment at the time of the search. I'm not going to talk about the latter. That's usually not involved in the traffic uh, stops. Thus, the Lopez majority, this is their reasoning, they rejected the argument that a search for evidence of the crime of unlicensed driving in the case before it would have been permissible, even if the search of the defendant in Lopez had been incident to a custodial arrest. The Lopez majority reasoned that Gantt requires that the police have reason to believe that the vehicle contains evidence relevant to the crime of arrest. And no reason appeared to think evidence of that crime, which was just with driving without a, a license, would be found in the car. The Lopez majority stated, a license is not something police need to search for as evidence of driving without a license, because at most it might provide a defense to the charge. And uh, by the way, if you're interested in the Gantt exception and what are uh, some of the still outstanding issues in how it applies, we include a relatively lengthy discussion of Arizona versus Gantt and the issues that, it, that, that still have not been resolved uh, in our accompanying IPG memo. So for the same reason then, search incident to a custodial arrest made on the basis that the driver had a suspended license or was in violation of one of the vehicle code sections described in the 14600 series, which prohibit driving on suspended or revoked licenses, would not then be permissible. Yeah. Uh, in, in fact, identification would not be considered relevant evidence for most traffic violations. What about if there's going to be a custodial arrest of the driver for a crime involving lying to an officer, including lying to an officer about their identity, can a search for identification be made in that circumstance? Yes. A search for ID may be permitted if, during the traffic stop, probable cause develops to arrest the driver for a crime for which a driver's license or other ID would be relevant evidence. Now, one such circumstance is when, during the course of a traffic stop, probable cause develops to believe the driver is lying about his identity in a way that violates one or more of the statutes that uh, involve lying to an officer, and the officer plans to make a custodial arrest for that violation. The Lopez court was unanimous in recognizing that identification can constitute relevant evidence of a crime involving lying about one's identity, like Penal Code Section 148.9 or Penal Code Sections uh, 31 or, or 40,000.5. In that situation where there's this lying about ID, the search could take place under either the search of a vehicle incident to arrest exception, as described in Gantt, if the driver was taken into custody, or under the traditional automobile, sometimes called the vehicle exception, which allows a search of a vehicle even without an arrest if there's probable cause to believe evidence of a crime would be located inside the vehicle. 
Can the search of a vehicle for evidence of identification take place before the driver or occupant is formally arrested for a crime involving lying to the police? Well, ordinarily, uh, an officer with probable cause to arrest can conduct a search incident to arrest before making the formal arrest. The fact that the defendant's not formally arrested until after the search doesn't invalidate the search if probable cause to arrest existed prior to the search and the search was substantially contemporaneous with the arrest. Multiple cases for these propositions are included in the accompanying IPG. The rule that once probable cause to make a custodial arrest arises, uh, you can then, in that circumstance, conduct a search incident to arrest, regardless of whether a formal arrest has been made, has been applied in cases where there's been a search of a vehicle under the exception described in Gantt in at least one published California appellate court case that's still good law, a case called People v. Osborne. However, the Lopez majority declined to express any view as to whether a search of a vehicle pursuant to Gantt's evidence relevant to the crime of arrest exception could come before or only after the arrest. Now, right after the Lopez majority said this, they CF'd a decision from the California Supreme Court called People v. Macabeo, which was a case that came out in 2016. What do you think they meant by that? You know, I think they just wanted the reader to check out that decision uh, of Macabeo and cogitate upon the question of whether a search incident to arrest can precede the arrest when no actual custodial arrest follows. See, in Macabeo, the California Supreme Court acknowledged when a custodial arrest is made and that arrest is supported by independent probable cause, a search incident to that custodial arrest can be permitted, even though the formalities of the arrest follow the search. But the Macabeo court went on to say, this does not mean that probable cause to arrest will always justify a search incident to arrest as long as an arrest follows. If an officer originally has probable cause to arrest, but then decides an arrest is not going to take place, presumably before searching, and then later arrests the defendant after finding some evidence during the search, the search may not be viewed as valid. In light of uh, the language in Macabeo, if an officer, for example, has probable cause to believe a driver is lying about his or her identity, the search incident to arrest exception of Gantt should allow for a search of a vehicle before a formal arrest, but not if the officer has decided before searching that he or she is not going to take the driver into custody, regardless of whatever evidence turns up during the search. Do you think a search for identification, when there's probable cause to believe a driver has committed and or has been arrested for one of the crimes involving lying about his or her identity, would be limited to those areas where it's reasonable to believe identification would be kept? No. If there existed probable cause to believe the vehicle contained evidence of the crime, i.e. the the identification documents, then the scope of the search would be as wide as any search justified under the automobile exception. Under the automobile exception, you can search the entire vehicle and containers that might potentially be large enough to hold the items. If there was a rare circumstance where there's not probable cause to believe the vehicle contains evidence of the crime, but there is probable cause to arrest for the, for the offense, then the scope of the search would be dictated by the Gantt search of a vehicle incident to arrest exception. 
meaning that the officer could search any area of the passenger compartment that might hold the identification, not just those areas in the passenger compartment where it's reasonable to believe someone might keep ID. In other words, under either the search incident to arrest exception or the vehicle exception, the search is going to be broader than what you would expect the search could be under Arturo D for for registration or ID. Aside from an offense of lying to an officer, would identification documents or registration documents be evidence of the crime of vehicle theft or driving a stolen vehicle? Yeah. If there's probable cause to believe a vehicle is stolen, the object of the search made under the automobile exception, or if the driver is arrested under the search incident to arrest exception of Gantt, that object of the search could and would likely be registration and title documents or identification documents. Is there sufficient probable cause to believe a vehicle is stolen based solely on the failure of the driver to provide satisfactory evidence of ID and registration? No. Uh, Way back in 1972, in the Simon case, the California Supreme Court held the mere failure of a motorist to have their driver's license in their immediate possession is a circumstance of such generally innocent connotation that it can't reasonably transform uh, the the fact that someone lacks their registration card into grounds to believe the motorist is guilty of grand theft. So, not by itself. But the Simon Court observed that the lack of the registration card gives the officer reasonable grounds to inquire further into the matter and ask the motorist for an explanation of its absence. If the answers provided by the motorist are inconsistent, conflicting, or palpably false, this may reasonably be taken to indicate consciousness of guilt and constitute a further suspicious circumstance sufficient to support a a belief, a probable cause belief, that the vehicle is stolen. The Simon Court also said that other observable circumstances may, I'm quoting, invest the lack of a registration card with guilty significance. And they listed several other circumstances which, if they're present, could provide the necessary probable cause to believe a vehicle is stolen in conjunction with the fact that the person doesn't have the registration card. Other circumstances such as... Well, they cited as an example where an officer stops a vehicle with a missing or improperly attached license plate and, in addition, learns the motorist is unable to produce the registration card. In that case, they said an officer may reasonably entertain the belief the vehicle is stolen. They also mentioned other circumstances relied on in other cases uh, to give the, the, the fact that someone doesn't have a registration card with, uh, to, to look at that and consider it in conjunction with others. Uh, items or other uh, facts, such as a motorist's evasive driving, uh, the failure to stop promptly when the officer signals the driver, reports of criminal activity in progress in the neighborhood. Uh, All those were listed and referred to in other cases. They also, uh, you should also consider the fact that in the appellate case of People v. Williams from 1971, the court said, What constitutes reasonable cause to suspect auto theft varies, but absence of registration, inability to furnish satisfactory proof of ownership, and unsatisfactory explanation for possession of the vehicle may suffice at a minimum. Jeff, let's pivot a little bit, if you don't mind. 
Under the inventory search exception, a vehicle that's going to be lawfully impounded may be searched in order to inventory the items in the vehicle so long as the search is done pursuant to an established standardized procedure. Can a vehicle be searched pursuant to the impound and inventory search exception if the driver has no satisfactory identification? The holding in Lopez shouldn't impact whether a vehicle can be searched pursuant to the exception to the warrant requirement allowing officers to conduct inventory searches of impounded vehicles. And there will be some situations where officers who would otherwise have conducted a limited search for ID papers under Arturo D, but can no longer do so because of Lopez, will still, as a practical result, be able to locate those same documents when conducting a warrantless inventory search. However, it's got to be kept in mind that mere failure to provide ID or a driver's license will not necessarily permit an impound uh, or an inventory search. Why not? Is the officer supposed to let the person drive off in a vehicle when they don't have a driver's license or when their license has been suspended? Well, uh, Jordan, you have to recognize that whether an inventory search is valid depends on whether the initial decision to impound the vehicle was reasonable. It is true that for the decision to impound to be reasonable, courts will consider whether there's statutory authority for the impound. However, an impound must also be found to serve a community caretaking purpose in order for it to be upheld as valid under the Fourth Amendment. Impounding serves a community caretaking function if the vehicle is parked illegally, it blocks traffic or passage, or it's going to be left in a place where there's a risk of theft or vandalism. And the the courts will also look at whether or not uh, someone other than the defendant can remove the car to a safe location in determining whether or not impounding the vehicle uh, furthers a community caretaking purpose. Now, there is statutory authority under Vehicle Section 22651H to impound a person's vehicle if the person is taken into custody, or if an officer serves a notice of an order of suspension or revocation. And there is statutory authority to tow the vehicle, regardless of whether a driver is arrested, when a solo driver has violated one of the vehicle code sections prohibiting unlicensed driving. But if the vehicle can safely be left at the scene, the mere fact the driver is arrested does not allow an impound. And while some courts have held that preventing further unlawful driving may constitute a community caretaking purpose, other cases have strongly indicated this purpose does not qualify as a community caretaking function. Now, we cover the inventory search exception and some of the common issues that arise in applying the search in the accompanying IPG memo. It sounds like this IPG covers a lot of ground beyond what Lopez addresses. It covers searches incident to arrest automobile exception searches, inventory searches. Yes, and that is a result of the free-flowing nature of the Inquisitive Prosecutor's Guide. We are not hidebound by traditional constructs of dispensing knowledge, and we're very liberal with our Easter eggs of potentially useful information, esoteric or otherwise. Jeff, in New York v. Class, the United States Supreme Court upheld a search where a driver stopped for a traffic infraction, produced registration and insurance documents, but no license. One of the officers opened the defendant's car door 
in order to look for the vehicle identification number, the VIN, which was located on the door jam of cars made before 1969. Not seeing a VIN at that location, the officer decided to look for a VIN in the other spot where a VIN would regularly be found in more recently manufactured vehicles. And that spot was on the top of the dashboard, an area normally visible from outside of the car. The officer reached inside the car to remove some papers covering that area of the dashboard and noticed the handle of a gun beneath the driver's seat. The gun was seized, the defendant was arrested for possession of the weapon. Although the entry was considered a search, and the search did not fall under either the automobile exception or any other exception to the Fourth Amendment's warrant requirement, the majority found the entry and movement of papers reasonable under the Fourth Amendment. Do you think the holding in Lopez will have any impact on searches authorized under the class case? No, I don't really think so. I don't think it should have any impact on the ability to search a vehicle for a VIN number in the manner described in class, because even in the Lopez decision itself, the majority recognized that the search for a VIN number in class was based on a lesser expectation of privacy than the expectation of privacy in the area searchable pursuant to Arturo D. Do you think the holding in Lopez will impact whether an officer can enter a vehicle when the officer asks or demands proof of identification and the driver does not provide it, but states that it's in the vehicle somewhere, such as the glove compartment? That is, under Lopez, must the officer allow the driver to retrieve it? Or can the officer, for safety purposes, insist on retrieving it themselves from the vehicle? You know, I, I think so, but that is an open question. And it wasn't truly considered in Lopez. I mean, in Arturo D., one of the defendants initially denied having any ID or documentation concerning the car he was driving, but later indicated his wallet might be in the glove compartment. The Arturo D. court upheld the search of the glove compartment based on the rationale we already discussed. But in a footnote, the Arturo D. court postulated an alternative theory for upholding the search in Arturo D., they pointed out that after the officer informed the defendant that he would search the car for documentation, the defendant said his wallet might be in the glove compartment. And the court said that once the officer was advised that the wallet might be in that location, the officer was, quote, entitled to protect his own safety by retrieving that item himself, rather than permitting defendant to further rummage about in the glove compartment. And in articulating this potential alternative theory, the Arturo D. Court cited to two earlier appellate court decisions that both stood for the principle that where the safety of an officer or the public is not endangered by, thereby, a driver may himself retrieve and present his license for examination by an investigating officer. But if officer safety warrants, if officer safety warrants, the officer may control the movements of the vehicle's occupants and retrieve the license himself. Although the Lopez court later on ruled the first theory relied upon by Arturo D. was no longer valid, it didn't expressly discuss whether officers would be entitled to conduct a search for ID if the defendant said, yeah, there's identification present, 
but the officer chose to retrieve the item for himself instead of, of allowing the driver to do so out of a genuine officer safety concern. But won't the defense argue that the Lopez court rejected the theory underlying the search in Arturo D., even though it recognized that Arturo D. was based in part on the fear that officers were compelled to allow drivers to retrieve the relevant documents themselves and therefore safety concerns would arise? You know, I expect they will. The prosecution response to this argument, aside from the fact that Lopez didn't really say this, should be to point out other language in the opinion that implicitly recognizes that if an officer can articulate safety concerns, an officer can retrieve the items from the area where the driver claims the items are located. Also, you know, allowing an officer to retrieve documents when safety concerns are present is really consistent with the recognition in Arizona versus Gantt that, for example, even if no arrest was made, officers can search the car if they reasonably believe the suspect is dangerous and may gain immediate control of weapons. That's just like the Michigan the long uh, vehicle frisk exception. Does Lopez have any impact on the question of whether police can search the person of a driver for a wallet, say, or a purse in order to locate the driver's license or other identification when no custodial arrest is going to be made? Well, Lopez only dealt with the search of a vehicle and said a purse found in a vehicle could not be searched for identification based solely on the failure of the driver to provide ID. There is, however, language in Lopez which certainly suggests that mere failure to provide identification by itself would not justify seizing or searching a person for ID when no custodial arrest is going to be made, at least when it comes to traffic stops where the person hasn't lied or attempted to conceal their identity. Specifically, as indirect support for its conclusion that a warrantless search of a vehicle for ID when no identification is provided is unlawful, the Lopez court pointed out that there was only limited authority allowing a warrantless search of a person solely for evidence of his or her identity, while noting many decisions from other states have not sanctioned similar searches. So does that mean that Absent an arrest, Lopez will be cited by the defense to prevent searches of persons for identification for folks who are merely detained? You can expect the defense to cite Lopez for this proposition. But actually, Lopez is not inconsistent with the current state of the law. Neither the California nor the U.S. Supreme Court has specifically decided the issue of whether a limited search of a person for ID following a detention is constitutional. And if you talk to prosecutors, many will vaguely remember a pair of cases from 1987 called uh, People versus Long and People versus Loudermilk as cases that allowed seizure and searches of wallets for ID. But if you actually go back and reread those cases, and another more recent case from 2006 called uh, People versus Garcia, which distinguished both of those earlier cases, the current rule in California can be boiled down to the following when it comes to whether or not you can search a, a, a wallet or, or an individual who's been detained and reach into their pocket, pull their wallet, etc. This is the rule. 
The seizure and search of a wallet or purse from a detained individual's person in order to locate identification is not reasonable under the Fourth Amendment unless the officer has probable cause to believe it contains evidence of a crime and or there is an attempt by the person to conceal or lie about their identity. The holding in Lopez is consistent with this general approach. Did Lopez mention any of those three cases? Yes, in fact, it mentioned the Loudermilk case. And significantly, the Lopez court did not disagree with the decision in Loudermilk. Rather, it distinguished Loudermilk in a way completely consistent with the current rule by pointing out that while the court in Loudermilk approved an officer examining a wallet located during a pat-down for weapons, they only did so because the suspect first lied to the officer and had himself created the confusion as to his own identity by falsely stating he had no identification. Moreover, the fact that Lopez recognized that identification may well supply evidence of the crime of lying about one's identity, and an officer can search a vehicle upon PC to believe evidence of such lying will be found inside the vehicle, that approach is also consistent with allowing searches and seizures of wallets or purses when there's probable cause to believe the wallet or purse contains evidence of a crime or the suspect has lied about his identity. Presumably, this issue would not crop up if the search of the person for identification was incident to their custodial arrest, right? Yes, that's right. It's well established that when an officer is going to make a custodial arrest of a defendant, a wallet or purse found in the person of the defendant should be seizable and searchable incident to arrest. Okay, Jeff. One last question. If a search of a vehicle was properly conducted in reliance on the decision in Arturo D. and the search took place before Lopez was issued, should the evidence seized pursuant to that search be suppressed? No, it should not. And that's because searches conducted in objectively reasonable reliance on binding appellate precedent are not subject to the Fourth Amendment exclusionary rule. Since Arturo D. was binding appellate precedent up until the time Lopez issued in November of 2019, it follows that evidence obtained during searches for ID made in reliance on Arturo D. should not be suppressed so long as they occurred before the issuance of Lopez. So maybe not quite the last question then, but how, how come the Lopez court didn't rely on that principle to uphold the search in the case before it? Well, in Lopez, the attorney general did make the argument that the, that the officer had acted in good faith reliance on Arturo D. But the defense claimed the argument was forfeited, and the Lopez court ultimately dec- declined to consider the issue because the court of appeal didn't have occasion to consider the issue. So without expressing any views on that issue, they remanded the case back to the Court of Appeal to decide that issue. Did the Court of Appeal in Lopez then decide the issue? No, actually, they found the issue was forfeited, presumably because the issue wasn't raised in the trial court. But the issue was raised in a different, unpublished appellate court case that had little problem finding that evidence seized based on the decision in Arturo D. could not be suppressed based on the general principle that evidence seized in good faith based on binding state appellate precedent cannot be excluded. Good to know. And with that answer, my questions on the impact of Lopez are exhausted. And I'm sure our listeners are exhausted as well. So let's sign off for now and 
to those of you brave enough to click on this podcast. Thanks very much for listening. Thank you.